Howdy and welcome to the Homes for Hope podcast. My name is Drake Coltree and I'm the Western U.S. representative for Homes for Hope and your host today. If you're not aware, Homes for Hope is a building industry response to global poverty. Since our founding, we have expanded our mission to serve in over 20 countries and have had the privilege of investing over $1.6 billion in the dreams of underserved men and women through microenterprise development. Today on our show, y'all, we have the one, the only, Jeff Rutt, CEO of Keystone Custom Homes and founder of Homes for Hope and Hope International. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. So good to be here, Drake. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Yes. I, listeners, I said we had to go out with a bang on our first year of the Homes for Hope podcast. So why not bring the founder of Homes for Hope, Jeff Rudd, on board? Um, Jeff, can you uh, share a little bit about your role at Keystone Custom Homes and uh, how long you've been doing what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I have been doing this for a long time. I was the first employee of Keystone Custom Homes in 1992. Uh, I like to think of myself of um, in charge, but I have no idea what I'm doing out there uh, or what anybody else is doing, but I just deal with all the challenges and look for opportunities. I love that. I love that. Well, Jeff, we know you probably could have been a million places today. So thank you so much for taking some time to hop on the podcast with us and your uh, festive Christmas gear listeners. You don't know this, but Jeff had a Christmas tree hat on prior to this, but we were worried about all the jangles from the bells. And so he uh, very intelligently decided to take that off. So we didn't have to deal with that in post-production. Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) You're welcome. Of course. Well, Jeff, uh, You've been doing this since 1992. Um, I cannot wait to hear what it is that you think the building industry should be keeping most front of mind uh, right now at the end of 2023. Yeah. So I look at it a little bit different than than some folks who have been in the business uh, for less time. Probably balancing the risk and opportunity is the is the thing that uh, is always kind of the the balance you have to look at. And a lot of it has to do with finding the right land at the right price in the right location at the right terms and something that fits the, the needs of your home buyer. Uh, You can't pay too much for it. And if you don't pay enough, you're not going to get it. So finding, finding the right, uh, uh, the right, right opportunities, and then matching that up with the right uh, home plans. Uh, but I would say right now, it's that it's that balancing that risk. Uh, there's a lot happening. Just in the last couple of days, we saw a huge shift in interest rates, uh, which is a good sign, we think. Uh, it also could be uh, as interest rates drop, there could be more uh, what I call those toenails in the carpet homes, those used homes to come back on the market. Uh, so it could flood the market with some more inventory. Uh, but in general, it's a good signal that uh, things could free up a little bit and give uh, folks a little bit more affordability. Over the past uh, couple years, the increasing interest rates and increasing cost took someone that could originally afford an $800,000 home, which is about what our homes average, uh, to the point where with the same 
amount of monthly payment that dropped to about $600,000. So uh, the problem is during that same time period, that $800,000 home now costs $900,000. So it's going the wrong way. And that's why affordability is its, its lowest in, I think, a recorded history uh, at this point. So that's, that's, uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on right now in the market. And so, Jeff, you talked about balancing risk and opportunity. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting with some some younger builders that are very entrepreneurial in spirit, um, similar to yourself. And so I'm curious, what I imagine the wisdom would look a little different. Um, but so what would it look like if you were talking to a young builder that might just be doing their first five to 10 houses, like really getting off the ground? And I, I have some in mind that I'm thinking of as I ask this question, but this is like such an interesting time to get into the industry. I'm curious what it looks like to balance risk and opportunity when you're really early in the game. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I would look closely at and we tried to do this and we did this out of necessity because in you know, when we started our company, we had no money and we had no, you know, banks that were willing to, to back us. So we, we uh, survived on pre-sales. Uh, we sold the homes and then, you know, banks are willing to back you when you can take a contract and say, this home's already sold. It's no, it's, there's no risk here. We have a good deposit. We have a mortgage commitment. We, we just need to, we need some financing to finish the home. So I would lean into, that's one thing. I would say that a couple other things would be uh, just looking at as many opportunities as possible, knowing that you don't want to take them all. Have a, And then the third thing is have good preset hurdle rates. Never fall in love with the dirt. Um, it's You have to look at a lot of dirt, but don't fall in love with any one piece because if it doesn't meet your your contribution margin, your return on net, uh, net assets, your, um, you know, the dollars per home that you need to, uh, to hit in order to cover your overhead and also to make uh, a reasonable margin, uh, you're not going to survive long. Uh, so just trying to look at it very uh, clearly and, you know, through clear eyes, uh, but dispassionately don't fall in love with it. Uh, but, but be aggressive about looking at as many opportunities as possible. Work hard, stay humble, realize that, you know, just because you had this opportunity to look at it doesn't mean it's going to be great. And just because somebody sent it to you that don't think that you're just the luckiest person in the world. Like I have through the years, a few times, wow, I'm so lucky. I, you know, somebody else, somebody sent this to me. Well, maybe there's a, (laughs) maybe there's a reason somebody else didn't take it. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point to make and something to be aware of. Um, you touched on mortgage rates and even how they've been changing over the past couple of days. Um, and I, I wrote in quotes, uh, good sign, we think. Um, how do you stay uh, cautiously optimistic in your role when you see things like that? You've, you've imagined you've seen quite a bit over the years. And so um, how do you get excited about what you're seeing, but also make sure uh, you don't do the wrong thing um, just due to your optimism. Yeah. So, you know, a wise man told me a long time ago, there's, you know, things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem at the time. And sometimes when we have dark clouds, you know, COVID hit, you know, the first three weeks of COVID in in Pennsylvania, our governor shut down home building uh, that did not consider it a necessary uh, business 
necessary activity. Um, a lot of dark clouds. Uh, we thought sales, you know, our, the phone stopped ringing, you know, the first couple of weeks and the stock market, you know, dropped. I forget what it was, 20 some percent. So there was a significant uh, lot of fear. Uh, but I think in those times, trying to balance it with, hmm, mate, there's probably, it's probably not as bad as thing. And then on the flip side, when things are going, like when interest rates drop as much as they did in the last three days and things are like, oh my word, everything's going to be amazing. Well, maybe, but there could be th some things that are balancing that out as well. So trying to keep that a little bit of a tempered, uh, you know, uh, realistic, not too conservative, not too optimistic approach usually uh, does well. Yeah, that's good. So Jeff, uh, last question on this side. I'm not saying that you are a fortune teller or anything like that, but if you could read it in the future, 2024 building industry, you've, you've been around for the roller coaster. What do you, what does 2024 look like you think for the building industry? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, very bullish on 2024. I do think rates will likely uh, drop slowly and confidence will rebuild in the market. Uh, there's huge demand in most areas. Uh, costs have gotten under control. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a good year for the, uh, the home building uh, industry. But what do I know? I, I try to look out one quarter at a time. I think the first quarter of 24 looks great. I mean, it's not going to be like, you know, killer, as, but it's not going to be terrible. I think it's going to be a, a good quarter. And then... Um, We'll take it one quarter at a time. Well, listeners, that might be the most practical piece of advice from this aspect of the podcast right there. Look at it one quarter at a time. Well, Jeff, I appreciate that so much. Uh, we're going to toss it up to our executive director, Matt Baer, up in Lancaster, PA, and we will be right back for the next half of the Homes for Hope podcast. It's nearing the end of 2023. And if you're like me, we're all being presented with a lot of needs this time of year. To be honest, this ad is also a year-end ask, but hopefully you'll hear something different from us. This isn't an urgent plea for you to save our organization or help us to get back into the black. It's a call to invest in what God's already doing. Homes for Hope is going to be here next year. In fact, we have ambitious goals to scale as an organization and increase our support of Hope's continued expansion in programs, innovations, countries served, and more. We fully believe in the efficacy, impact, and faithfulness demonstrated by our parent organization, Hope International, as together we fight poverty in all its forms. We're asking you to join us as we grow, to serve even more talented entrepreneurs sooner and better, who are living in some of the toughest places on earth, and who are working hard to break the cycle of generational poverty. Will you join us by making a generous year-end donation, or starting a conversation with us about launching your own Homes for Hope project? There will be a link in the description for you to take action. Thank you so much in advance for your partnership in the mission of Homes for Hope. And now, back to my good friend and colleague and host of the Homes for Hope podcast, Drake Holtry. Okay, listeners, we are back, and this is the Homes for Hope podcast. I'm your host, Drake Holtry, uh, and today we have, as I said on the intro, the one, the only, Jeff Rutt. Um, and Jeff, this is the part of the podcast that uh, listeners, if they've listened to this before, um, without a doubt, this is my favorite part of the podcast. This is where we get to connect to the work of Homes for Hope as we are seeking to invest in the dreams of men and women um, in underserved communities all around the world. Men and women that have time, skills, and talents, much like you and me, 
um, but they just grew up in uh, not the greatest circumstances and don't have as many opportunities as we have. And so in that, we don't believe that there is any such thing as a self-made man, but that everyone is standing on the shoulders of giants and has been invested in by someone. And so Jeff, I am curious today, um, who is it that either personally or professionally has helped to get you to where you are today? Yeah. So great question. I would say two, two individuals, uh, aside from, uh, my parents. Uh, but when I was, I had kind of a dysfunctional childhood. My mom called me when I was 13 and said, Hey, uh, I picked up your three siblings, your younger siblings at school. Here's my number. Call me if you want to join. I decided to stay on the farm with my dad and, uh, kind of spent my teenage years broken and leaning into my faith in Jesus. Uh, but during that time, aside from the influence of my dad, our pastor, uh, pastor Earl Ziegler really kind of took me under his wing and, I, I just, just looking back on it, just spent an enormous amount of time and focus on developing and encouraging me through, you know, leadership in the youth group, leadership in the church activities, actually got me on the missions committee when I was 18, chairing the missions committee and got, I was, got very interested in uh, global missions at a young age. And yeah, just spent a lot of time investing in me later and ended up joining uh, the first board of Hope International. So uh, kind of came full circle and uh, was just a good friend. The second one I would say is when I, when I, uh, turns out after many years on the dairy farm, uh, we, uh, my wife and I realized that it turns out 300 cows are very needy. And so we were looking for something with lower risk and less hours. So we thought, Maybe real estate and home building would be a good thing to get into. <laughs> so uh, we needed money and we needed a bank. I found my first project uh, had really nothing to, you know, to, to present to the bank, but good ideas and a lot of enthusiasm. And I presented it to two bankers in, in our local area. And one of them said no. And the other one took a chance. And I, without that banker, taking a chance on the ideas that I presented to him uh, starting in a new business, in a new, you know, new area, new property. Um, it would not have happened. So he pre- he provided that capital. So I would say those, those uh, two individuals uh, were very instrumental in, in giving me a break and kind of investing in me uh, in my future. Yeah. I, I love to hear that. And so I'm curious with uh, pastor Earl, you said he took you under your wing. Um, what are your early earliest memories of that? What did what did that look like? Uh, was it a youth group or, or connecting, or how how did that relationship strike up? It actually it it involved uh, him reaching out and identifying uh, gifts that I didn't recognize that I had, and I still don't know how strong they were. <laughs> but he encouraged me, and then kind of said, hey, here's what you're going to do. And you know, he took steps and, and said, hey, uh, here's how I want you to use those gifts and, and put me in a place where I could flourish. And, you know, I, but I had, to, I had to move forward and, you know, implement and execute on, on those opportunities. 
Yeah. Is there ever, uh, I feel like with every mentorship this happens, but was there ever a moment where you felt like he was encouraging you or trying to develop something in you um, that just made you feel awkward? Like you you were like, I don't think I want to learn this lesson or I don't want to develop this skill. Is there anything like that that you might recall? Yeah, for sure. I mean, because he was always, you know, he had lots of, lots of uh, ideas on, you know, speak, you know, things that involve public speaking or leadership that was very stretching, uh, which was good. It was, it was good. Uh, but at the time it felt like, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Uh, but it was, it was, a, I needed that encouragement and that, uh, that motivation. Yeah. And, and obviously as the, the founder of Homes for Hope and Hope International, um, we might, uh, owe, Pastor Earl, a debt of gratitude for getting you on that missions committee at 18. Um, prior to that, do you feel like you were thinking very much internationally or you had been pretty pretty domestic at that point? What did that look like? Actually, I had uh, my parents lived in San Jose, Costa Rica for a year when I was 12. Uh, so I had a taste of global, uh, I had that kind of uh, Christian worldview we worked in an orphanage uh, at a place called Roblialto, right outside of San Jose, Costa Rica. So I didn't realize that at the time I was a kid, but that that kind of subconsciously was building in in me some uh, you know foundation for that uh, interest in in global work. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, okay, you did not consider this someone that invested in you, but I'm going to run with this here. You were a dairy farmer for a bit. What did the cows teach you? What did you learn from the cows, Jeff? This is a real question. That's hard work. Uh, Yeah, it's very hard work. And I will say about the dairy farm, I wouldn't trade it for anything. The the discipline, the early mornings, the hard work, you know, that my dad and those cows instilled in me uh, was something that I appreciated years later. I didn't really appreciate it that much then. Uh, so I wouldn't trade it for anything. I probably wouldn't go back for anything either, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's just, you look back on it and say, that was a, that was a foundation of uh, really, I feel like since the, the day we, you know, saw those cows go out the driveway, I feel like I, I haven't worked a day in my life. It's just like, I feel like I've been on vacation, you know, uh, ever since. Yeah. And I'm assuming you didn't just set the alarm out of pure joy to go be with the cows. Uh, your, your dad got you out there. I'm assuming at a young age, would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it it wasn't just the pure joy of it, not a hobby. Um, so, so switching up a little bit to touch on the, the banker that you mentioned, um, as a businessman, as a young entrepreneur, uh, what did it, look like to, to really try to get someone to take a chance on you? I know, I think you said this wasn't the first banker that you went to go see. Um, and so what did that look, what was that refining process like as you were trying to find someone to invest in your business? You know, when you're looking for, when you have an idea and you know, in your soul that it's going to work, it seems like, you know, from your perspective, it seems like everybody should just get it. But there's there's a lot of risk involved in looking back on it. He took a chance on me and the idea uh, and the fact that we were going to follow through. Um, 
but but yeah, that's there's there's a, several dynamics. Uh, of course, you know, he was looking at the probably the work ethic, the the plan itself, which looking back on it wasn't too refined. Uh, I didn't have a lot of you know history in doing what I was proposing uh, we would do, but uh, but it worked out well for both of us. And I know the banker that turned me down really well. He still lives in our community. So I've, once in a while, I'll rib him a little bit and said, hey, I remember that. Remember that time you turned me down on my first loan? <laughs> Does he just kind of shuffle off in the parking yeah. lot? <laughs> just kind of, okay, Jeff, see you later. Until next time. <laughs> no, we both laugh about it. Okay, yeah. that's, that's good. Do you still keep in touch with the banker that did give you the loan? No, I haven't recently, but I did for years. And okay. we, de- we definitely uh, owe him a debt of gratitude. Yes, yes. Well, I love that. Well, Jeff, we owe you a debt of gratitude as the Homes for Hope and Hope International team just for even uh, having the vision to start um, this organization. And so uh, thank, thank you for that because through that, we are able to invest in the dreams of so many men and women. Um, but I know uh, before we left the podcast, you had some some closing words, a quote, I believe, that you wanted to go over with the audience. Um, and so listeners, I'm going to say, this is this is it for Drake Holtree this year for the the Homes for Hope podcast. I'm going to let Jeff close us out with this quote. So hopefully, you have something good to to meditate on the rest of the day. Well, I before I finish with that quote, Drake. Sorry, one thing I can't end a Homes for Hope podcast without say, talking a little bit about number one. I just love Homes for Hope and the fact that our builders can use the skills that they have to. Drywall, drywall for Jesus, you know, do what they do every day, but get to impact lives all the way around the world in amazing ways. For example, like our friend Artem in uh, Lviv, Ukraine, who was his business, his restaurant business was devastated by the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, but did not give up. He was resilient uh, he decided to get a loan from Hope International for a generator to keep his restaurants open. Uh, he now hires internally displaced families and has rebranded his business to be called Bunker Ribs and Burgers. And I just think it's such a clear picture of kind of the um, uh, the nimbleness, the max flex, uh, the, the, the moxie, you know, the resilience that builders have, and that also the families that we serve around the world have that are using the funds that we're able to raise through Homes for Hope to have their lives impacted. Uh, and, and they're empowered personally, financially, socially, and spiritually uh, to become pillars in their own communities and to have dignity restored in their lives. So really exciting. So yeah, the, the quote I was talking about is from uh, Mark Batterson's book, Chase, Chase the Lion. And he says, stop pointing out problems, become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past, start creating the future. Face your fears, fight for your dreams, grab opportunity by the main, and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails, live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail, dare to be different, quit holding out, quit holding back, quit running away. Quit living like the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar, 
set God-sized goals, pursue God-given passions, go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention.